Welcome to Marksman, a podcast for men who have been marked by Christ and who are aiming their lives at Christ likeness. Praise God, I'm Mark Spellman, your host today, and so thankful and excited you're joining the conversation that you've tuned into the podcast, and I hope you'll make some reviews on this podcast, give us some feedback, and uh, just be a part of the conversation. Share this podcast with your friends, your other your guys you work with, the guys you do life with, guys at church. Let's get some more men kind of at the table in the conversation. And I would love to hear from you. You can email me at spellmanministries at gmail.com, spellman, S-P-E-L-L-M-A-N, ministries, plural, at gmail.com. And then, of course, through social media, all the links are on the uh, listing below here on your podcast link. But uh, would love to hear from you. Like to get some feedback from you, how the podcast has encouraged you. If you have even constructive criticism, hey, love to hear it. Um, this is a conversation, and I'm just privileged to be doing life with you. And we'd just like to know who's out there, who's listening, and who's being encouraged and joining the conversation. So let me hear from you, men. And uh, looking forward to today's discussion. And we're continuing in our conversation out of Hebrews chapter 11, God's Hall of Fame, his Hall of Fame of faith. That's right. Hebrews chapter 11, been on this conversation for quite some time, and I make no apologies for it. These are great men. These are great examples, and I love what Hebrews 12 says about chapter 11 because, you know, the Bible's in chapter and reference, you know, chapter and verse, obviously, for reference purpose, but it wasn't written in chapter and verse. So Hebrews 12 is actually referencing kind of what Hebrews 11 was all about. And it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which can easily ensnare us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, who is the author and who's the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and now has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So these witnesses referenced here in chapter 12, these witnesses all through chapter 11 are a tremendous cloud of witnesses. You might say these men are in the grandstands, and they're cheering you and I on to victory because we're running the race in our generation. They've already run, and they've handed off the baton. And I used to do relay races. I don't know if anybody can relate to that, but I used to do relay races and track all through high school and junior high and loved relay races. I was always third leg. I don't know how I ended up being third leg, but whether it was the 400 or 800, I always got third leg. And uh, it was handed off to uh, Tim Humphreys there on the fourth leg, and he would take us on to victory, at least some of the time. <laughs> anyway, uh, this is like a relay, and we've been handed the truth of God, which is through through our faith in Jesus Christ. Now in our generation, now they were looking forward to the cross. We are looking back. 
but we're all in the same race. We're all in the same race. We're all in the same family, and we all share the same faith. And so Hebrews 12 is telling us how we are being cheered on by all these men. We've already talked about a lot of them. We've talked about Abel. We've talked about Enoch. We've talked about Noah. We've talked about Abraham. We've talked about Isaac. We've talked about Jacob. We've talked about Joseph. And now we started last week talking about Moses. This is all found in Hebrews 11. And we're going to jump back into a conversation about Moses beginning in verse 23 of Hebrews 11. But I wanted you to hear that out of Hebrews 12, that these men, the men I just mentioned, you know, Esau, Jacob, uh, Abraham, Joseph, uh, Abraham, I already mentioned that, Noah, Enoch, Abel, these men are in the grandstands and they're cheering you on and they're cheering me on. They're, they're saying, come on, don't give up. And I love how it says in chapter 12, the reason they're cheering us on is so that we don't uh, get tripped up with the, the weights, the distractions, certainly not the sin that can beset us and disqualify us. And it says so that we would run with endurance. There's just something that I remember sometimes coming around on my leg of the race. And man, just when the, the grandstands would stand up and they'd be cheering, you know, I'd hear my name being cheered out. I'd hear our, our town being cheered out. And that swell from the crowd would just, man, it would just invigorate you. And it would just move you to just dig a little deeper and run a little bit harder and just not give up, not quit, no matter how much your body's aching, no matter how numb your legs are, no matter how you're hurting, no matter how hot it is or no no uh, uh, no water left in your mouth, you're all dehydrated, you just would you'd find it in you to press on. And I pray that's what I want to be. I want to be with these men. Uh, just cheering you on in your walk of faith, in your race, your race. And I want you to run with endurance, your race. And I want you to look unto Jesus. All these men that we've talked about are helping us look unto Jesus because they lived their lives looking ahead to the promised Messiah, the promised Savior, the promised Deliverer, the promised King and Redeemer. And now we, you and I, get to look back to the cross and we have seen Jesus and our faith has come alive in Him. So let's get into our conversation here today. So hopefully that'll kind of boost you a little bit when you realize there's somebody on your side. There's somebody cheering you on as a man. They're cheering your faith. They're cheering you on in your race. And some of those great men that we just mentioned, they're in the grandstands. They're the cloud of witnesses that are not only cheering us on, but I believe they're a part of of the the life of prayer. I'm sure they're praying for us. They're they're cheer. I don't know how all that works on the other side. I don't I don't have doctrine for that. I don't know how to explain all that. I just know that if we are told that we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, they're not just sitting there on their hands. They're active, and I don't know how they're active, but they're active, and I know that they're there cheering us on in our generation. So I just thought I'd share that today as we begin. Again, we're picking up in Hebrews chapter 11, 
talking about the faith of Moses, one of the most premier, you know, there's a few big ones, but he's definitely one of the big premier patriarchs, one of the great men of faith that we as men can look to and receive encouragement, strength, correction, inspiration, all of that. So we'll pick it up in verse 23 and read through the short passage here in Hebrews 11. All these verses are about Moses. And it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, he was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful or proper child. They were not afraid of the king's command. And by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, rather than enjoying the passing pleasure of sin. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, because he looked for the reward. And by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, and he endured as seeing him who was invisible. And by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn would touch them. And then by faith he passed through the Red Sea, even on dry land, whereas when the Egyptians attempted to do so, were drowned." Praise God. Let's just pray together. I just, I don't always do this, but I just feel a nudge just to pray with you today. Father, thank you for all that we can learn as we just dig into this passage of Scripture about the great patriarch, the great man of God, the great prophet, the great deliverer, Moses. Thank you that his life is, is instruction for us. His faith is inspiration and direction for us. And we thank you that even as Hebrews 12 says, he's in the cloud of witnesses, and he, among others, is cheering us on this day. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. Amen. Amen. So we talked about last week about how Moses, when he was come to years talked about how he was hidden by his parents, and that was actually an act of faith that the the step that they took by faith to protect him, they took by faith to actually put him in that basket, little kind of miniature boat, put him on the river and send him down the river, and how God went ahead and arranged it so that Pharaoh's daughter found him, and she then tried to find among the Hebrews when she realized it was a Hebrew child to find a Hebrew mom who could you know give him uh, give him nurse and. Uh, Lo and behold, Moses' mama was picked, and and she was actually paid to to nurse Moses, and then she of course had to release him. Then, you know, to Pharaoh's daughter, and he Moses grew up. He was actually named Moses. You know, means out of the water. He was actually named by Pharaoh's daughter, and then of course he grew up. And we talked about all this last week, so I'm not going to rehearse all that. But if you missed it, just go back and check it out. Last week's part one of Moses, and if you missed any of these conversations, just go back. They're all labeled. Uh, several of them have multiple parts to them, but each one stands alone. They're not like super super uh, connected. They're all related, but you can grab any one of them, and it'll encourage your heart and your faith. And it'll give you just some fuel and faith from the Word for your race, men.
So I hope you'll check it out if you missed any of them. But anyway, let's pick it up. Going further today, by faith, Moses, when he came to age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoying the pleasure of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt because he looked for the reward. Of course, this whole chapter 11 talks about faith, which is a relational faith, not theological faith, not informative or informational faith, relational faith. It's trust. These men we've studied, they trusted God. They were given instructions. They were given directions. They walked with God by faith. And this faith was a trust that they had in his word, this trust that they had in his prophets. Many of these were prophets. These men lived by faith. They trusted God. Because, like Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, without that trust, it's impossible to please him, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, and he must believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so we have to have that men in our lives. We have to have that baseline that God is a rewarder. And if we seek to go, to do life his way, then there's going to be a reward for that. There's going to be a reward for doing it God's way, for doing life God's way, for doing family God's way, for doing our work with integrity and character and faith, doing even our work as unto the Lord. Back when I had a remodeling business and a construction business on my little business cards, I had the verse out of Colossians that he, anything you do, do it as unto the Lord. And so no matter what I was doing, no matter what job I was on, I did it as unto the Lord. I did it when I repaired a bathroom. I, I did it like I was repairing the Lord's bathroom. If I built something or remodeled something or repaired something, I did it just like it was for Jesus himself. I wasn't doing it for that customer. I wasn't doing it for the paycheck. Of course, I needed the paycheck. I received the paycheck, but I was doing the quality of work, the integrity of work as unto the Lord. So I didn't cut corners. I didn't look for the shortcut. I didn't. I mean, sometimes I had to go back and redo because you know what? I wanted the, the customer satisfied. I wanted the my name, which was on that work, to be a, a good name, a good satisfied customer, but I always desired to do everything I could as unto the Lord. And so here we are. Uh, we are to live life, doing life God's way, knowing that when we do, there's going to be a reward. But let's back up here where it says he made a choice to suffer affliction. He esteemed the reproach of Christ. Now, of course, he, when it says Christ, that just means the anointed one and his anointing. And see, Moses was anointed as a deliverer. He was called and anointed and appointed by God as a deliverer. And that anointing on his life, that calling on his life is like you and I. We have an anointing. We have a calling. It's not about being a preacher. It's not about being in a pulpit. Every person Every man, each of you, you have a calling, you have an anointing, you have something God 
wants you to do. And he has set you aside to do it. Like Jeremiah 1 says, that Jeremiah says, before I was in my mother's womb, you called me, you ordained me, and you set me apart. And that's true of each and every one of you men. God knew you before you're in your mother's womb, and he called you, and he ordained you, and he set you apart. Maybe not to be a prophet to nations, but he set you apart for a work in his kingdom and an assignment in your life. And so there's an anointing, and because of that, we're going to do life God's way. And because of that, there will be some reproach. The Bible says all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's not always going to be popular to do life, to do business God's way. It's not always going to be popular to do, um, certainly not in these days, to do marriage and family God's way because the trends and the culture and what this world's trying to do, it's trying to reevaluate. I mean, they can't even figure out what their gender is. I mean, it is so confused out there. And so if they can't even figure out what gender they are, then certainly the family's all messed up, marriage is all messed up. And so you and I doing life God's way according to the Bible. It's going to create reproach. It's going to create some persecution. It's going to create, you're going to be going upstream. You're not going to be going with the current of the world. You and I are going to be going actually upstream. But we have the grace of God behind us. So we're not laboring in our flesh to do this. We have God's grace. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the anointing just like Moses did. But I want to focus on one thing here today where it says he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. And let's put that in our context today. I want to give you another scripture found in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And it's, this is referring back to Christ. Moses, of course, was looking ahead to Christ. We here today look back to Christ. But look what it says about Christ um, in verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, the Bible says, Arm yourself likewise with the same mind, for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer would live the rest of his time in the flesh, for the lusts or desires of men, but to the will of God. Sounds like exactly what Moses did. Moses realized, I got a choice to make. And because I got to make a choice, I'm going to have to refuse certain things. Like he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, an identity that he grew up with, but she was not his birth mom. He was a Hebrew, not an Egyptian. And for him to choose his true identity, it was going to cause persecution. It was going to cause rejection. It was going to cause difficulty and challenges. It was going to require him to endure. And you and I, men, in our generation, now more than ever, 
are going to have to make choices. We're going to have to take a stand. We're going to have to take a stand in our home. We're going to have to take a stand in our finances. We're going to have to take a stand in our marriages and families. We're going to have to take a, take a stand at work, on the job, among unsaved workers, unsaved employers, unsaved employees. When we choose to do it God's way, like Matthew 6.33 Seeking first the kingdom of God. When we seek the kingdom of God in all we do, the Bible says all these things are going to be added to us. There's going to be reward that comes, provision that comes, protection that comes. But it doesn't say we're going to be exempt from persecution, from challenges, from misunderstandings. People may, we may lose friends. We may lose friendships. There may even be family members that cut us off because of our stand for Christ. And that's what Jesus was, was referring to, that anyone who loses, you know, family, uh, father, mother, brother, sister, for my sake and the gospel's sake, shall receive a reward in this life and in the life to come. And so sometimes that decision that we have to make, that choice we have to make, like Moses, choosing certain things, refusing other things, when we realize it doesn't line up with Scripture, it doesn't line up with the Word of God. And I, I feel impressed to say this right now. This is one of the reasons why it's so important to be in a good, solid community of believers, to have fellowship with other people of faith and followers of Christ. And that's what this community the marksman community is all about. We are a community to encourage each other, strengthen each other. And there's probably going to come a day in the future we'll have a maybe a gathering here in southeast Missouri or maybe other parts around the U.S., wherever you're listening from. We may gather as men. But that's the point. We need to have fellowship with other believers. And as men, we need to unite arm in arm, heart in heart, faith to faith with other men, other dads, other fathers, other husbands, other men in the business community, in our vocations. We need to unite under the banner of Jesus Christ. We need to unite under the name of Jesus Christ, and we'll draw strength from each other when we are together. The Bible says, he that seeks isolation is not wise. He actually seeks his own destruction. So it's not good to isolate ourselves. It's not good to just pull back and be alone. We need to be connected. And I just felt like giving that encouragement, and that admonition. And you know, if you've been apart, you've been away, maybe you've been hurt by something that happened, you know, in the fellowship among a congregation, we always have to remember that we're following Jesus and not men. Now, Paul did say, follow me as I follow Christ, but he didn't just say, follow me blindly, but he said, follow me as I follow Christ. So when somebody, even a leader or a pastor, because in our generation, we've seen things happen where leaders, we've trusted leaders, we've held up in esteem, have fallen from the faith, have made decisions that were not godly, that were not of integrous, that were not of a godly character, um, and so it's, it's brought reproach upon the body of Christ. And for some, it's, it's kind of made their faith shipwrecked. It's made them isolate themselves. It's made them lose trust in leadership or trust in the body of Christ. But listen, 
Just because someone let us down doesn't mean Jesus let us down. Because we weren't following them, we're following Jesus, and He is faithful. And there's godly men out there that are trustworthy. There's godly men out there that are integrous, that are pure, that are holy, and that are righteous. doesn't mean they're perfect, but it means, hey, if they miss it, they make it right. If they miss it, they repent. Though a righteous man falls seven times, yet he will arise. And so, again, look at this passage, 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, we are to arm ourselves with this mindset that just like Jesus suffered for us, we are to arm ourselves likewise with the same mind. In other words, we need to be prepared. We're going to face adversity. You know, sometimes people have given the idea that if you trust God and live for God, you're just not going to have any more troubles. That just because we come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light doesn't mean we have no challenges. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he said, there's two houses going to be built. One house is going to be built upon the sand. One house is going to be built upon the rock. What's the rock? He said, he that hears my sayings and does them, he's going to build his house on the rock. But then he goes right on to say that the storm comes to both houses. Now, don't let that be too simple. The storm comes to both homes. There's going to be storms that come both to the righteous and the unrighteous. There's going to be storms that we're all going to face. Sometimes, yeah, our disobedience creates our trouble. Yeah, sometimes the enemy creates adversity because of our uh, stand for Christ. But sometimes storms come because we're living in a fallen world and we're living in a, in a world where other people's decisions, especially those in leadership, are affecting the nation. They're affecting the culture. They're affecting our generation. And so there's going to be hard times and storms that sometimes we all face, no matter whether we're believers or unbelievers. But here's the good news. To the one who hears the words of Jesus and does them, and trusts them, and stands on them, and they do life God's way. God says, Jesus said in Matthew 7, this man's house will stand. Though the storm comes, though the wind blows, though the winds and waves beat upon that house, it will not fall. Because they have heard the word of the Lord, and they've stood on it, and they've trusted it, and they've decided They've, like Peter says, they've armed themselves, realizing I'm going to suffer some things when I choose to do life God's way. And so he goes on, for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. See, a lot of times the suffering, at least in this context, the suffering we're going to face is not necessarily always the adversity. And I know I spent some time talking about that, but now I want to shift and realize, help, help you to see and encourage you to see that many times the suffering that we're going to experience is when we choose to do what love would do. Okay, now we're going to shift a little bit. Yes, there's going to be adversity. Yes, there's going to be challenges. Yes, there's going to be persecution. Yes, there's going to be adversity that comes from people persecution. But this suffering he's talking about is when we suffer to not do what our flesh wants to do. 
Come on. Moses gave us this encouragement. He said, you're going to have to choose some things. You're going to have to refuse some things. That means we can't always do what our flesh wants to do. We can't always say what our flesh wants to say. Sometimes the best thing we can do by faith is just zip our lip, just not say anything, just not respond. And then when we do speak, we're going to have to choose to not speak from the flesh, from our frustration or from our irritation or from our anger or from our disappointment. We still are going to have to choose to speak from a place of love. And so what he's talking about here when he says, he that has suffered in the flesh will cease from sin. When we do what love would do, when we say what love would say, and we speak from love and we act from love, that means our flesh is not getting its way. In other words, we're not living self-centered. We're living Christ-centered. We're not reacting. We're responding. See, there's a difference between reacting in the flesh and responding in love. And that doesn't mean sometimes you don't bring correction. As dads, as fathers, as as men, sometimes when we have authority in the situation, sometimes we're going to have to bring correction. Sometimes we're going to have to bring instruction. Sometimes in order to bring training, we're going to have to point out how something's being done wrong. But we should never do it at the expense of someone's identity, someone's value, someone's purpose. We can always touch them the way Jesus would touch him. And you might say, well, you know, Jesus went through the temple and he, he drove them out with a whip and he rebuked and he called them snakes and a brood of vipers. Yes, and he also climbed up on a cross and laid his life down and bled and died an innocent man for their sin. So before we rush to judgment saying, oh, you know, my anger is validated, my, my harsh response is validated, let's make sure that we're also dying to self for that same person. See, when people always want to claim how Jesus, you know, he, he rebuked the Pharisees, he called them a brood of snakes, he, he grabbed the whip, he drove them out. They use that many times to justify a selfish anger, a selfish, self-centered judgment, just a frustration, just an irritation. Just, But no, that came from a man who literally laid his innocent life down for their guilty one. He literally died on the cross for them. And so before we rush to identify with, you know, a man with a whip driving out the the <laughs> the hypocrisy and all that let's make sure that we're we're speaking from the same place he spoke from yes he called him a brood of snakes but it was from a place of love yes he he grabbed a whip and he drove him out but it was from a place of love it just wasn't just irritation flesh you know just i've had it with y'all when y'all going to get it it wasn't from that place and so that is ceasing in the flesh that is suffering in the flesh to do it God's way, to do it love's way. You know, one time I asked the Lord, because I was thinking about how Jesus said, I only do what I see my father do or I've seen with my father. I only say what I've heard my father say or what he's, he's taught me. And I asked the Lord one time, what does that look like? Because I'm, I'm trying to imagine Jesus 
He wasn't a puppet. He wasn't like he was on a string and just being controlled. And it wasn't like a robot, you know, and God had the remote and he was just kind of directing Jesus. You know, it was it was so relational. You know, it was the trust that was lost in the garden is what Jesus restored in Gethsemane. The trust that was lost as a father lost the trust of his son and daughter. Jesus was a son restoring that trust in humanity with God. It was a relational trust. It was a relational direction and obedience. It wasn't just Jesus being a robot, Jesus being a puppet on strings. No, when he said, I only do what I've seen with my father or know my father would do or what I've heard my father say. I asked the Lord one time, and this is how he said it to me, and it really simplified it. I hope it'll simplify it for you men. He said, Jesus only did what love would do. Because the Bible says God is love. God is love. God is holy. God is light. God is truth. And Jesus only did what love would do. Jesus only said what love would say. And so I just I lay that out there for you men just to take hold of that. Because then we then can see how it would become possible how we could only do what we've seen with our Father, how we could only say what we've heard and been taught by our Father. You know, Jesus said this in another place, John 14. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I'm telling you, man, that is my inspiration. That is my aspiration. That is my goal. That is the goal of this program. I mean, we said it at the beginning. Men who have been marked by Christ... You've seen that Jesus is the, the perfect man. And you're going to align your life with his example. And you're going to pursue and aim your life at Christ-likeness. Well, like you, that's my passion. That's my desire. That's why we're having the conversation. That's why we're digging into these scriptures about all these great men of God who looked forward to Christ like Moses did. His life was a total prophetic picture of who Christ would be as our deliverer. Anyway, back to the fact that my inspiration, my aspiration, and yours being the fact that you want to aim your life at Christ's likeness is the fact that if Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father, then you and I can have the same aspiration. We can have the same goal in mind to where we can say, I want my life to be so Christ-like that I, like Christ, would say, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father in heaven. And you might say, Mark, don't put that on me. Don't put that pressure on me. I hope you don't hear it as a pressure. I hope you hear the privilege of that. I hope you hear the grace that's on those words. That's not... That's not trying to shackle you up. That's not trying to chain you down and lock you down and cut out all kinds of things that would be fun in life to do and to be. No. God wants to have fun with you. God wants to go fishing with you. God wants to play golf with you. God wants to go to work with you. God wants to be in church with you. God wants to do all things with you. And when we do it with Him, we'll do it at a level 
that will make the world take notice that we've been with Jesus. It will make the world take notice that we've been with our Father. And that's what I want to be able to say at the end of the day, is that if you've seen me, you've seen my Father in heaven. And I want you men, you marksmen, to take hold of that aim and that goal and that focus because it's not just a cute phrase, aiming your life at Christ's likeness. It is our goal. And I'm going to leave you with the scriptural reference for that um, as we wrap up here today. Again, thanks for being a part of the conversation. Thanks for hanging with me today throughout today's discussion. And we're going to pick up next week, continuing to dig into a little bit more of what Moses' life inspires us to and and challenges us with. But here in Romans chapter 8, I wanted you to see that this isn't just some pie in the sky. This is literally what Scripture says that we are privileged to aim at and aim for. In fact, we're predestined. We are predestined to become Christ-like. Here it is in Romans chapter 8. Verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow. And you men, he knew each of you before you were in your mother's womb. Like Jeremiah, like the psalmist said in Psalm 139, God knows us. He he knows us more than our parents know us. There's a foreknowledge of God. Those he foreknew, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn, that's Jesus, the firstborn among many brethren. So right there, Scripture is calling Jesus not only your Redeemer, not only your Deliverer, Savior, King, Lord. It's calling Jesus your brother. Do you remember when we talked about Joseph? If you didn't miss it, if you can miss those conversations, go back and pick it up because that's what the life of Joseph prophesies about Jesus being our elder brother who came to redeem his lost brothers, just like Joseph did. He, he saved a great posterity, and that's what Jesus did. He saved a great posterity. In Romans eight twenty nine, we just read it. We are destined, predestined, to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. And it says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 49. 1 Corinthians 15, 49, that just like we bore the image of the man of dust, we will bear the image of the heavenly man. So, men, I hope today's conversation has inspired you. I hope it's encouraged you. I'm sure it's challenged you. It's challenged me. I, I myself am blessed by these conversations. My faith is stirred. My hope is stirred. My aim is even made sharper. And I pray that yours is too. I want to thank you for being a part of the conversation. I want to hope, ask you to invite you to please share this podcast with your friends, your men that you know do life with. But please remember that just like you bore the image of the man of dust, you're going to bear the image of the heavenly man. If your life has been marked by Christ, then let's keep aiming at Christ-likeness.